you know, people's opinions of us, our, our place in society, our, our relationships, our, all these, right? We, we grew up being threatened by so, so much of our environment, right? These are all perceived threats. When, when we get stuck in these again and again and again and again, so that cycles repeats itself so much that we're, we never really got out of that state of dysregulation, that's when we can say our nervous system is, a, is in a prolonged or chronic state of dysregulation. Let's go! Welcome to Becoming an Epic Being with your host, Sukoon. As an advocate of conscious living, my mission is to help you young adults navigate through the confronting issues of your generation, question conventional beliefs, and choose authenticity, because that is where your true joy lies. Each week, I dive into raw conversations with inspiring guests who have undergone big shifts and are here to offer you the tools to do the same. So get ready to step up your game and jump on the ride as you begin the journey towards the next stage of your self-evolution. Welcome back, you guys. And for those of you tuning in for the first time, so glad you're here because this conversation is like a mini course on finding your way back to your authentic self. And what I mean by that is reconnecting to the parts of yourself that you lost during the course of growing up. This has been one of my longest episodes and honestly it could have gone on because there is just so much to dive into this world of understanding ourselves and healing our emotional wounds, nurturing the neglected part of ourselves and just finding freedom because I don't think we realize how heavily dysregulated our nervous systems are. And it really is to do with the kind of environment that we grew up in and are immersing ourselves even now. Now, parenting is a game changer for those who had it right. Because honestly, as much as we'd hate to accept this, a lot of quote unquote adults are actually kids stuck in grown up bodies. But luckily, my guest Ujwal Gulati is a truly awakened soul because he is a relational trauma and inner child healing coach who helps millennials heal their trauma and emotional wounds. But before he found his calling, Ujwal was an electrical engineer who was also stuck in life with the pressure of pleasing his elders and fitting in as a perfect child. But all of this changed when he was pushed to do the inner work and rebirth himself. Okay, I shall now let you dive in because there is a bunch to learn from this conversation, including how you can regulate your nervous system and balance your body back to homeostasis, because that happens to be a core part of Ujwal's work. So let's hear more of what he has to share now. Well, thank you for being here, Ujwal. It's so good to have you. And I have to say, I have to say, I'm so in awe of the work that you do because this is a subject I myself am very passionate about because I truly believe that how we show up in the world is literally everything, right? And of course, that depends on how we were parented because everything starts and ends there. And if we don't do the work that actually takes towards adulting in the real sense, then the same patterns just carry on from one generation to the next over and over again. So with all the work that you have been doing, how has your journey of self-awareness been so far? And becoming conscious of all that was not serving you. Yeah. um, So to answer this in a very sort of 
briefly. Yeah, that's a big question. I just started with a very big question right there. Uh, a journey of self-awareness. Yeah, to, 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 the only thing that comes to mind right now, which I think really uh, well, really describes this, from my perspective, really defines it well, is in terms of my journey coming into becoming self-aware and yeah. uh, trauma-aware and becoming aware of basically everything about my past that did not serve me, like you said, it's it's uh i consider that that phase to be uh, like there's a before and after so that point mm -hmm. about in my life about six odd years ago six seven years ago uh, i literally consider that to be rebirth i don't use this term lightly uh i was no. i was a different human being in my quote unquote past life <laughs> uh and it, you know the first few years of this new journey this new life so to speak were just uh, a lot of it was spent, and that's understandable, a lot of it was spent really in shock of how how was I that person? Like, like who, what made me that way? And uh, why did I live the, that kind of life? Why did I live the way I lived? And why mm -hmm. uh, why did I go through those experiences? A lot of it, you know, we, we it's inevitable. We start off this journey with a lot of self-pity. We start with self-loathing, self-judgment. Uh, it's not it's not possible to jump straight from complete unawareness to you know a state of self compassion and really understand. I mean, there usually is a big trigger point. That's like, what's going on? Why is this happening yeah. again and again? And let me yeah. look into this. Yeah, for me, that that final trigger, so to speak, that final blow was, <clears throat> excuse me, me uh, losing my job uh, in 2016. I had, I would say, many instances in the past where my life was shaken up, but mm -hmm. it. None of it was, none of it really pulled me out of that rut. Uh, every, each time something happened, I kind of went back to living the same life, uh, you know, in terms of just continuing on the same path in terms of work, uh, doing work that I never enjoyed, uh, living my life, literally living all of my life for my family, for my parents to please them, mm -hmm. to impress them, to make sure they're happy. I just, I kept going back into that cycle every time something would happen. But for whatever reason, this time it was, you know, I, I, that's why I say it was rebirth. I consider that to be the lowest point in my adult life. Uh, I, I hit absolute emotional rock bottom and just coming out of there was, uh, you know, it was, it required really just this time it was, I, I didn't have it in me to go back to, to that. Yeah, I can understand. So, a lot so of with it, that, what, what was the really big idea that you had to let go of as you were rebirthing yourself again? I love that question. Um, there were a lot of ideas I had to let go. I, I had to I basically, you know, it was, or in a nutshell, I guess I had to come to terms with the fact that I was, I was living for someone else, right? Uh, that, yeah. That's a very umbrella statement. I know it's, it's not, it's not very uh, pointed, but it also, it says a lot, right? I, I, I finally came to the agreement, to the conclusion. Uh, I mean, I always, of course, we deep down, we know it, we're just not in a, excuse me, we're not, we're maybe not in a position to admit it to ourselves. We don't have the courage to stand up for ourselves, right? Um, so for me, that was a big part of making this choice to start living a different life was to finally yeah. uh, come to terms with the fact that I've always lived for someone else and, and now actually make that be known, like start being vocal about it uh, because there was no other way. I, I, I couldn't, there, it's not possible to do this in silence, right? It's not especially yeah, I'm sure. for, you know, you're well aware in our culture, it's not a, it's a big deal to kind of 
it go is, against what your what your family wants for you, regardless of how dysfunctional or functional your your family environment is. Right. That aside, mm. uh, even if you've been brought up in a in a fairly functional environment, which you know where you were you had a say in your own life, mm. starting to you know completely live your life in a very different way that perhaps doesn't match your family's expectations or, or what they yeah. have in mind for you in our culture is a huge deal um, especially for so I, for I, people I who have no context it's a, a male versus female thing uh, but it is for for men in our culture because we've been raised with that idea of you know um, boys don't cry men don't feel emotion in fact we've been taught to you know the we've been taught that men don't feel like you know the you know the hindi equivalent of this statement, right? It's, it's, we mm. boys or men, male, we were not supposed to feel, we're not supposed yeah. to feel pain. So when we grow up with that, with that awareness, with that knowledge, um, all the while feeling that pain deep down, it's, it's really, it's, it's a huge deal to come out and to acknowledge to myself, no, I actually do feel pain, right? Uh, yeah. Because we've, we've only been told we're not supposed to. Wow, that's a lot in there. So from what I'm hearing you say so far, it seems like you chose your authentic self. You took time to do that, but like you did. And this is a part of work that I do as well in terms of helping people realize and get in tune with their authenticity. And I guess you're the perfect person to ask this question, like what was the actual cost for not living up to your authentic self? Like how is that showing up in your life and how it actually you know, frustrate the shit out of you. Like, I know there's a lot to that question as well. Yeah. But I mean, if you could just say a few words of just urging people that why it's important to live your authentic life, because you've lived that yeah, and you've been uh, on both sides of the fence. This could go in many different directions, but really, uh, I you know, losing that sense of self is it's it's the most precious thing we have as as a human being living on this planet. Mm-hmm. Right? Our sense of self is is what carries us through. And mm-hmm. for many of us who, who grew up in these dysfunctional, toxic environments, we were, were bound to, to sacrifice that sense of self for our families, for our parents, for society, yeah. you know, uh, uh, because that's what it takes. It is, it is an exchange. We, in order to, to uh, you know, live up to someone else's expectations and fulfill their dreams and desires, it's not possible to do that without giving up your own, without self-abandonment, self-sacrifice, self-neglect self and that takes a whole toll on yourself i'm assuming i mean i know it does yeah, yeah so in, in terms of how it actually showed up for me in my daily life uh I, i'd say i mean I, I was not i'm not i'm now after doing all this work for all these years now mm. i'm fully aware of very specific phases of my life very specific incidents that that led to my you know long-term emotional wounding my, my childhood trauma but even till a few years ago when i had no memory uh you know i was i was completely living living a just a you know, I, I i had no idea what the root of all this pain was even up until that point um what i did know was i was waking up every day of my life and the first without exaggeration the first thought in my mind every single day of my life when i was working in corporate uh you know space that i did not enjoy was what the hell am i doing with my life that was those when those words come when that thought comes to your mind, the second you open your eyes, that's a horrible way to live, right? Uh, and, sure. and then, you know, contemplating that for 10, 15 minutes, laying in bed before even setting, getting off the bed and, and then going to get ready and go, going to work, right? Yeah. Starting to live 
live the life that you're actually thinking about, right? You first, for the first 10 minutes of the day, I'm, 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 I'm lost in this, this, this thought of what mm -hmm. am I doing? And then I proceed to go exactly do that thing, right? And that was, so I was living the same day, every day of my life, right? Uh, and, and that's what majority of us do. We, uh, I, I don't want to take credit for this quote, but there's there's a quote by someone you you cannot live the same year year after year and call it, or we live the, we live the same year for seventy five years and we call it a life, right? Something like that. I'm of course butchering it. I mean, it's just funny how much of our lives are spent in complete ignorance, not not knowing a better way of being, a better way of functioning, just because we do what we're told to do from our supposed superiors, and you've I mean, it's pretty clear what that does to us. Yeah, and yeah. unfortunately, it's there. You know, we we. We're just following instructions that they've been given on to us, but for a lot of them, meaning our, our parents, our family, the adults who who were involved, who had a say in our growing up, right, um, mm. influential sort of inner circle, they also they were also raised in very similar ways. Right? That's why they exactly don't exactly the pattern, right? Other, right. So they're just repeating a cycle. Very few yeah. decided to, uh, at least in our parents' generation, very few decided to sort of wake up and say, okay, you know what, I'm going to break the cycle. Uh, it's it's, and I'm not saying everyone today is doing it. Uh, and this message, you know, uh, this conversation that we're having is, is directed to those people who are, who are maybe still living, in in that confused, overwhelmed, lost state of yeah. mind, who, who are wondering what's going on. They may or may not have an idea of of um, their underlying pain and and, and suffering, but yeah. they do know that something's off, right? Sure. When something's off, you know it. You just you may not know exactly what it is, but you can feel. Uh, just on a daily basis, you're not, you're not with yourself. You're you're, you're completely disconnected, sure. you're fragmented. Um, exactly. So, for people who have no context of this work or this stuff, how would you actually describe what a dysfunctional family dynamic is? Yeah, thank you for asking that question. Um, there are very specific uh, traits that most dysfunctional families sort of live by. Uh, mm -hmm. Of course, there are differences as well, but some of the very common ones being emotional neglect, emotional or verbal abuse, maybe even physical abuse, um, emotional manipulation, emotional suppression, this harsh um, authoritarian upbringing, right? This control yeah. dynamic ownership. I'm the parent, you're the child. Hence, I know what what's good for you. I own you, right? I brought you into this world, so I own you. Yeah, sure. uh, that, that's that's a that's a very common one across different cultures, different dynamics, different you know uh, uh, sort of subcultures of society, mm. and it's it's uh, anyone you know this is this is a universal fact. Anyone who's experienced this sort of a, a, a environment growing up, how it impacts them, what it ends up taking away from them, you know how it impacts them on a daily basis, is of course it depends on their own personality, their own, you know, uh, fears and insecurities and, and their personality in general, their, you know, their environment always teaches, everyone's environment teaches them something specific, uh, which we all make meaning based of, off of what we're, what we catch, what we sort of take in from our environment when we're yeah. living. But the, in terms of what's common, regardless of where we come from, regardless of the specific household we grew up in, it, like we were talking about earlier, it completely takes away our sense of self. Uh, there's there's a, a lack of um, self-worth. Our self-image is very, very negative. Uh, we end up, you know, again, we're, we, we get into those self-betrayal, people-pleasing tendencies. We're always worried about what others 
uh, uh, you know, have to say about us and our lives were seeking external validation constantly, mm. right? We, we, we lose self-trust. So when we, when we're in our, you know, twenties and thirties, when we're sort of facing the real world, uh, and we're out in, in positions where we have to make, you know, critical decisions for ourselves, for our lives, we're unable to make those decisions because when we were little kids, we, we were not mm. given that opportunity to, to think for ourselves or make mistakes or screw up. Right. We were right. this idea of failure is not an option. Uh, I know I grew up with that, right. I, I was, I, I mean, perfectionism was what I've, it's been one of, it's, it's been like a bait of my existence. I've, I've always had to live up to that expectation. I've always had to play that role of the perfect son, the perfect child in every possible way, you know, get the best possible grades, be the most polite kid at home, be the most well-behaved, uh, you know, as much as possible, go excel in all these extracurricular activities. No, I'm not saying I did all of this. Uh, I mean, I, I, I tried, uh, you know, as much as I could and, I was good at school up until a certain point, but when the pressure starts getting to you so much, uh, mm. it obviously it plays an impact. That it has its effect uh, on on those things that you're trying to be perfect, right? right? So my grades started dipping after a while. I stopped being interested in extracurricular activities, and all this takes that that negative toll. But it's um, yeah, we 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 basically live a false life. We're we're in survival yeah. mode constantly. Uh, and our main goal becomes the, the, the meaning of, for someone who may not familiar, be familiar with this term, survival mode. We're literally, each day, we're just trying to survive the day, right? As a, as a young kid, your your only job on that day becomes, how do I get through this day? How do I make it alive, you know, get past yeah. this day and worry about tomorrow when it comes, right? So you're, when your main task, when your main job becomes surviving the day, you're going to do everything you can to, you know, please the other people around you, please your parents, you know, betray yourself, uh, always, you know, look outward, look outside and, and, and kind of mold yourself, mold, give up your sacrifice, your own needs and desires to fulfill others. That's, that's how you survive, right? That's how you survive any situation. Yeah, exactly. So from having all this pressure on yourself to be the perfect son, um, how did you actually shift that equation with yourself to accept yourself as you are. And I'm sure it took a lot of work to do that, oh, but right. how do you break free from that conditioning, like years and years of conditioning, right? Yeah, and it's it so was, funny, these expectations from parents who are not perfect themselves, ain't exactly. that funny? Right, right. <laughs> right. And, and, and that's why it's, it's, that's precisely why it happens because somewhere, somehow, like deep down at a very subconscious level, they know that they were not able to- yeah, It's a shadow that. effect, yeah, isn't right. it? The whole projection. So they, they end up projecting onto their children uh, mm. what they were not able to achieve mm. or fulfill themselves, right? Uh, again, because they were not aware of, of this cycle. They were not aware of the impact. Mm. What they were doing is, hey, we've been, this is what we were taught. And I guess this is how everyone does it. So this is how we're going to continue to do it, right? There's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. There's, it's just, they, they, they pass on what they were uh, given yeah. themselves when they were kids. But yeah, to, to come back to your question, it was... For me to accept, right, when I started to do this work and really started to dig deeper and, uh, and, and you know, find that part of me which that, that really lived my being that or needing to be that, that perfect kid, perfect son, uh, it was a lot for me to accept that I'm actually not perfect, right? Because, uh, it, again, it's 
that false identity, you know, it, there's a, a part of your psyche that really holds on to this belief that becomes your identity. And one day when you really have to face that identity and, and accept that it's trying to live up to this identity has, has caused me so much pain and suffering. Uh, so it's, it's time to detach, but just coming to that conclusion, coming to that awareness is it's, it's really, really, uh, yeah, I can painful. imagine. Um, so, so yeah, it's, but there's no other way around it. There's, you know, and that's when we, we go through that, like I was saying earlier, that self pity, that self loathing, uh, there's, there's, there's these phases that we go through, or I, I went through, you know, a, a lot of self-hatred, a lot of, of course, blame for, I don't, I don't think it's possible to, to heal from all of this without placing the blame on our parents. I've, I've got this question before, you know, with, with, with clients and just in general, have a conversation with a friend or even some, someone in, in my family, even my parents for that, example, for that matter, right? When I talk to them now about these things, uh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm past that stage where I don't blame them anymore. Uh, I, I think I've passed that stage now. It's been a while. But even when I was in that stage of blaming them, I didn't know this back then, but today, looking back, I, I, I personally don't feel that we can, that's not a stage you can bypass. You absolutely have to go through that blame because we have to make sense of why things happen the way they did, right? We have to, yeah. our mind has to come to some sort of a conclusion. Uh, and it is part of creating that that narrative is to to find that other person to blame, the, the parent, the rest of the family, the external circumstances. So for a while, we're bound to play that victim role. Uh, I don't think it's, it's possible to bypass that. What's important is to, as soon as possible, become aware that okay, I am, I am still in this victim role and I, I can allow myself if, if really needed to stay in it for a while, like let that part of me also have its say. Because it is, it is that part that never got to express itself, right? It is, that part is going to grieve. That part is going to, it's, it's going to want to be heard. It's going to want to yell mm -hmm. and scream and, and get some validation, right? But because it did not get that validation from anyone outside, uh, we're going to have to do that job for ourselves. We're going to have to go in and validate that, that part, part of ourselves. And, and allow it to feel like crap, allow it to place the blame on others, allow it to feel that anger and resentment. And eventually, after doing this for a while, we have to be present with these heavy emotions, let them process. So true. Then we sort of pass that stage. Of, it's, it's, a, it's a rite of passage. Eventually, you sort of you move on from thinking, okay, you know, we, we replace the word fault. Like we keep saying, well, this, is, it, this happened to me because of my parents, because of my family, right? I blame them, yeah. it's their fault. So we, we start to think of it as they, they were yeah, just- Yeah, the blame game just carries yeah. on. Yeah. yeah, they were completely unaware, right? There was no concept at that time of self-awareness and emotion regulation and not like these things were not, uh, uh, you know, back in our parents' generation or when they were young parents, when we were little kids, how, how could they have had access to all this awareness without, like we today we have social media, we have the internet yeah. to teach us everything, right? We, you know, there's so many, whether we find that, that community around us or not, physically around us or not, we were now able to find online communities. We're able to find people mm. online that, that, that relate to us and, and we can have conversations with them. Um, but back then there was no such thing. So it was, it really exactly. depends on the society that you were part of, the, you know, the culture, the, the level of education. Uh, yeah, I mean, the stuff does take a huge amount of awareness and introspection. Yeah. And for our listeners out there who are at whatever stage of life, whether young or midway or whatever else, what could be some signs that they could identify with that indicate that they still have unhealed emotional wounds from their childhood or yeah. 
you yeah. know, just dealing with. Yeah, there uh, again, each each person, each individual will have their own way of coping with with life. Right, we we all develop our own coping strategies, our our sure. strategies, so to speak. But some common ones that I that I can share are uh, in general, like at a very high level. One one thing. Yeah, I talk about general. That that's relatable. Like talk about people pleasing is one. Perfectionism is another one. So what else? It's a very very common one. Um, but in general, the, what I'd like to say here is in terms of the way we react to our triggers, right? Everyone gets triggered. It's, 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 it's very human. It's not normal to get emotionally triggered. That's part of yeah. our physiology. Uh, you know, we are, our, our, our bodies are stuck in some sort of dysregulated state based on what we've mm -hmm. experienced in the past, right? Our nervous system is holding on to all this information throughout our lives. In fact, our nervous system kicks in even before we're born. When we're just exactly. a fetus, right, uh, uh, in, in, inside our, our, our mother's bodies, that's when our nervous system starts to gather information. So a lot of this trauma for a lot of people, and this is something we most people of course don't have recollection of. Uh, for a lot of people, their trauma is even pre, not just pre-verbal, but also prenatal. Right? If if the mother was in a very toxic environment when she was carrying the baby, right, that impact mm. it, it is going to impact the baby in in ways that we cannot understand at, at a yeah. conscious level, right? Um, but even for even for those of us who may not have had those experiences from that early on, even if our experiences, our traumatic experiences may have you know come in later on in life, uh, some common ways in which we we display these these mm. stored um, energies within us are very one one thing to commonly one common thing what to watch out for is very childlike behavior, right? Um, I mean, it is, I'll, I'll use this term, it is used in, in, in my work, but I'm, I'm very well aware not everyone resonates with the term inner child healing or inner child in general. Some people resonate with it. Some people think it's too woo-woo and that's totally fine. I respect each person's uh, way of, of understanding this concept. But even if for someone who does not understand the term inner child or does not resonate with it, the idea that a lot of these experiences from our childhood, right, are stored in our nervous system and these experiences cause us to really fragment parts of ourselves from our consciousness, from our psyche, right? They, when we, when we have certain experiences that are, that's too much for our system to cope with, mm. right? our mind, body, spirit, but it's too much for us to take. It's like we, we take this part of us and we just leave it aside because it's, it's, it's not possible to live with that part every single day. So we, we disassociate, we disconnect from parts of ourselves and we do this all throughout our life. So today as, as grown adults, we are, that's why they say we're all young children living in, in adult bodies body. yeah. is because there are parts of us, parts of our psyche, and this comes from um, this therapy model called internal family systems. Parts work, mm -hmm. that's where it comes from. It's a, it's, a, it's a fantastic, very, very powerful model for anyone interested can look it up. This idea that parts of us are still living in the past, right? There's a, mm -hmm. there's a version of me five-year-old version of me that's still stuck there. There's a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 15-year-old version of me who's still stuck there in the past. And that's why I don't feel whole, right? That's why I feel fragmented because physically I'm here, emotionally, physiologically, I'm not, right? Uh, if pieces of me have been left behind all through my life, I'm, there's no way I can feel fully connected, fully, fully whole. I'm going to feel fragmented. Yeah. Because the child, your up. child ego is very active through right. your life. Right. So the way that shows up in our daily lives is childlike patterns, right? Very, uh, so extreme stubbornness, 
self-centered very self right? attention right? attention seeking absolutely yeah. so so since you mentioned that maybe i'll spend a couple of minutes talking about this so yeah do that the, the our brain from the age of zero to seven right our very early development years our brain up until the age of seven is in a very very egocentric state we we have yeah. it's, it's one dimensional right we only have <laughs> we only perceive our world in one way everything is about me we make every experience about ourselves right mm-hmm. mom and dad are not in the mood to play they're busy so they they cannot play with me or, or, or tend to my needs i must have done something wrong i'm bad right that comes back from home and he's had a long day at work so he's a little annoyed frustrated mm. and for some reason it comes out of me i'm a bad kid right mm. mom is busy doing this she has no time for me uh she has time for my other siblings but not for me i'm a bad kid i must have done something wrong i'm this i'm that i'm stupid i'm go goes on and on and on right everything becomes about me or about the other we were it's called that the black or white black or white thinking right the all or nothing thinking it's everything is either internalized or externalized exactly there's no, there's no gray area so this idea of uh, egocentrism that that's what this is right no matter what my experience is i'm going to find a way to make it about me there is no the ability to think from another person's perspective does not exist and I'm not i'm not saying this was the case for me or you or some specific type of people this is this is how human beings develop this is how any human being develops right this is the 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 child's ego that's so the empathy comes in at a much later stage right empathy mm-hmm. starts to kick in maybe after we're 10 12 years old when we're starting to make sense of, of the world as a, as a teenager right that's when empathy starts to kick in and we're, we're we're able to somewhat make sense of a different perspective a teenager okay. a 14 15 year old while they might be you know they, they could be a rebel but they're still trying to make sense of the world so they might understand their mom or dad's perspective right to a fair extent a 5 year old kid will not be able to do that it's just yeah. not possible for that child right now fast forward to where we are today as adults like you mentioned self centered this this uh, it shows in our behavior in the way we react to things yeah. in, our, in our patterns right what's the when we get triggered especially in relationships right uh, whether it's intimate like romantic relationships whether it's friendships parent child sibling you know professional relationships whatever right when you get triggered by something somebody else did or said what's the first thing that goes out the window empathy right you're not in a position to be able to take that other person's perspective no matter what no matter how so uh, aware you might be as an individual in, in that, that moment everything goes down the drain goes right you can just defend so, yourself and react so, so when empathy goes out the window what's left is that self-centeredness that egocentrism right and when do you have when did you in your past when were you fully in that state as a child right it's the uh the theta uh, brainwave state we we were yeah practically living every single day of our lives 24/7 we were in that brainwave state as adults we only get into that state at night when we sleep our brain enters that, sure. that state right as a child that was we were we were like a sponge right it was we would soak in everything that was given to us either directly or indirectly i could be in a room as a 5 year old child playing and there could be a bunch of adults around me just having a conversation i may not even that may not be my focus but just the words that i'm hearing i'm making meaning out of it i'm making some yeah. meaning some i'm making sense of the world this is how i'm supposed to be this is how the world is supposed to be this is how families are supposed to be this is how boys are supposed to be this is how girls are supposed to be this so right i'm i'm picking up on everything like a sponge when i'm when i'm a child uh and and based on those narratives based on those stories that we create in our adulthood when we when we 
you know, where the situation where we're triggered, when we're, uh, you know, extremely hurt by something that someone did or said. We go back to that child self of ours. That's, you know, that five-year-old, 10, 12-year-old version of us becomes active in that moment. But question, what, what actually stunts the development of ours, of some people who are just stuck in the child ego? Is it lack of nurturing or support or care? Yeah, or it's, what, it's what is uh, so as little kids, or in fact, even as adults, right? And this is, this is so we're, a lot of what we're talking about is, of course, childhood trauma, but trauma doesn't necessarily mean it only comes from childhood, right? We can yeah. experience a traumatic situation today that might stay with us for a long time, right? Um, but specifically, while we're talking about childhood trauma, when we experience something that our system cannot cope with, right? Like I was saying, we, we, there's a part of us that we disconnect from. So mm-hmm. in, in another way of looking at that is we have, a, we have an incomplete emotional experience, right? We, we start to feel something, shame, guilt, anger, fear, sadness, whatever the case might be. As a mm-hmm. child, we somehow, we quickly tell ourselves, again, this, is, this comes from the messaging, right? Or we might hear this from our parents. Don't make a big deal out of this. Why are you crying? Why are yeah. you screaming? There's nothing yeah. to be you know, so angry about, right? We hear all these things. Get over it. Get over mm-hmm. it, right? Now we're hearing, and there's so many things at play here. If you think about it, this, if, if I hear this from my mom or dad, uh, get over it. There's nothing to be angry about. But I am angry. The real, my reality is I am angry. I am feeling mm-hmm. angry, right? I'm feeling this emotion. Of course, as a little child, I'm not able to make sense of it. So I'm going to rely on you, my parent, to help me make sense of it, right? But when I don't get that uh, validation, when I when my feeling in that moment is not validated, when I'm told I should not be feeling this way, mm-hmm. I quickly pull myself out of that feeling state and I make stories out of it and I leave that part of me behind. So that that feeling, that emotion gets, or it, it stays there, gets blocked in our system, in our nervous system, and goes unprocessed, right? That's what these unprocessed yeah. emotions are. So that experience is not completed. That emotional experience, had I gotten that validation, that comfort from a parent, right? It's okay to feel angry. You know, it's, your, mm. your anger is totally valid, right? There's other ways of disciplining your child, right? Your anger is valid. And we also have to understand that, so it's so, all right. We, the, the parent can then uh, use their own own methods of, of disciplining the child. But if that child did not get to completely uh, to complete that uh, that experience, whether with a parent, with a friend, little kids get bullied in school, right? Mm. Everyone gets yeah. fun of. If that child was not able to complete that experience, if that child came home and maybe either didn't have the courage to share that with the parent, or I'm not going to tell my parent that I've got bullied because I'm a boy and my dad's going to tell me what's mm. wrong with you. Why did you fight back? That's again, shaming, right? Or if I tell them and then I hear something like, it's okay, you know, I'm sure he was just making fun. Like it's not, he didn't mean anything wrong or whatever. Like in some way, if we don't carry that child's experience all the way through, that gets stored, right? So we are a series of several thousands and thousands upon thousands of little experiences that did not get to complete themselves, right? That's That's what stunts that development. And that's what triggers, that's what gets triggered when we're adults and when we have these similar experiences. Because I remember our, our, our nervous system is a database. It has, it's, it has kept an account. It has a database, a, a, a account of all those past incidents where we were not able to complete those experiences. So each trigger is literally an invitation for us to allow that, that experience to complete itself. We're able to, we have the, the ability to do it even today. Something that happened to me when I was five years old, 10 years old, 15 years old, 
something that's still stuck in me, an incomplete experience. The way to heal that is to allow myself to complete that experience today. But that requires yeah. actually feeling that pain all over again. And that's why most people don't do it. Hence the fragmentation, right? Because there are so many layers to us. And I always say there is no black or white about us. We're very, very, very complex beings at our core. And the moment we realize this, I think everything about us will shift in that moment. But yeah. we think we are so clear, we're logical, we're black or white, but no, it doesn't work like yeah, because, that. Okay, we just we're, white we're, we're we're given that messaging, right? Things should be clear. You, sh you need to have clarity. We're not clear ourselves. We're, yeah. we're, we're very, very complex beings. Yeah. This might be a bit off tangent or maybe not, but it does kind of relate to what you said right now. Like, you know, I've thought about this, that when toddlers, like infants are put in a cradle very early on, it could cause them to grow up with abandonment issues. Do 100%. you think, I mean, do you have a view on that? Absolutely. Uh, it is. That's true? It is, yeah, no, no, it is true. Uh, it is, in fact, scientifically proven. It's not just a like an opinion. It is a fact, actually. Uh, when an infant or even a, even a toddler, right, even a, a two, three, four-year-old little child running around, it, picture uh, an infant in, in a room somewhere, like, say, you know, asleep, child wakes up mm. starts to cry because again a child at all times needs that needs connection needs connection, a physical touch yeah specifically with the mother right mm. uh, needs that physical touch needs that smell needs that bond right essentially what's mm. happening is it the nervous system is looking for that safety right so a child's nervous system develops based on the nervous systems of the adults around the child right mm. so even if again going back to this idea of dysfunctional upbringing versus or more of a slightly more you know, functional environment, regardless of the environment we were raised in, we've all at some stage, we've probably experienced being in that state where mom or dad may not have been available in that exact moment that we needed them to be, right? Mm. So for a child, for that little infant, for a toddler that young, if mom did not show up as soon as we needed mom to show up and like physically hold us, like carry us and hold us, and that's just that's that's one aspect of it. Even if she was physically available to do this to hold us, right? If she herself was anxious, dysregulated herself yeah. in any, any way, so right? Much. That, that we actually caught onto that. Didn't matter that yeah. she she held us and we we got that physical connection. If she was or any adult who was around us, if there was a fight going on in the room while the infant is just laying on the side, right? If there was a you know a, a there were there's you know the volumes are going up and, and things are being said and just the, there's that stressful, anxious energy, the child's nervous system is going to pick that up, right? Uh, and it's... it's And store that experience. It's, it's because life. it is a stressful experience, right? For a child, that environment is stressful, right? So yeah. a, a, a child's physical environment in, in, in that sort of a situation is no different as far as, as long as far as the, the child's nervous system is concerned. I'm, I, I, I have to put that out there. For the child's physiology, this experience is not very different than, say, an adult, uh, let's say, a soldier in out in, in in the middle of a battlefield, right? Who's fighting for their life, who's trying to mm -hmm. like survive that that experience and and get out of there alive. Or somebody, you know, the the classic example of if you're walking through the forest and a and a bear jumps in front of you, your you your system gets into fight or flight mode. Yeah, and if you cannot fight or you cannot flee, your system shuts down. So that's mm. that's why the freeze comes in. Uh, this experience for an adult is very similar to that experience for a child. 
the child freezes after a while it, it, within seconds within moments it realizes okay nobody's coming for me i guess this is it i'm done mm. right this is death for that child this is, it, it that's that experience is as scary as death and our bodies have a very sophisticated mechanism to prevent us from feeling that pain so our body goes into if mm. if we cannot if fight or flight does not work we freeze right so the system shuts down so for most of us our body uh, we we start to learn what dysregulation is from that age mm. right from a very 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 preverbal yeah. that's what that's what preverbal trauma is and for for specifically now talk about what you said for those of us who experience this time and time and time again for years on end that's where abandonment trauma comes in because the system learns that no matter what i'm experiencing nobody's going to come and say nobody's going to be there for me i'm going to be left aside i'm going to be left alone right i have to deal this with this on my own if those who love me will eventually leave me right because heart of heart we know okay mom loves me dad loves me but they're not physically there for me when i need them they're not emotionally there for me when i need them that eventually mm-hmm. translates to even if this other person loves me eventually they're going to leave me i'm going to be hurt by them there's no way around this that is an abandonment wound Yeah I think because as kids we just believe everything that we see like actions just speak louder than what parents say to us because we literally absorb everything like a sponge so when parents are in that state of you know having their inner child activated and they have not done the work of treating their emotional wounds and healing their pain how can kids in that dysfunctional environment regulate themselves Yeah that's a great question. I mean my kids I mean kids who are not kids but like at a at a level where actually they can comprehend what's what, what's going on because it's very hard to do that it's you know very in that hard, environment you know and and uh, so I'm glad you mentioned that because sure we can we can talk about like a a, a really young kid uh, you know a little toddler or single digit age right mm. of course they're they're he's, dependent, he's helpless he can't do anything they're, they're in depend- that. that's they're it. dependent on their parents for survival for yeah. for to literally live right to stay alive they're dependent on their parents right we're if i'm not mistaken we are the only species uh on planet earth whose young ones come into a state of complete dependency right any other there's so many other species animals like when their young ones are fairly young they can actually start to you know make their way around around their environment and and start to find ways to survive right at a, at a pretty young age mm. our our like human beings that little kids cannot survive you cannot expect i mean a 6 year old 8 year old child to run away from home and, and make a life for it's not going to happen right uh mm-hmm. so whether it's we're talking about kids that young or even slightly older you know teenagers and that's who mm-hmm. you were referring to right maybe even yeah. past young adults teens, yeah right? young adults um it's 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 still difficult to one day wake up and say you know what I, i've had enough this is this is not working for me and <laughs> walk away right uh but yeah it's it's if that if that human being if that young adult has the awareness for themselves that something is off again it, it all starts with just having a feeling something's off i don't i don't know what it is right that's how it starts for everyone as far as i know that's how it's everyone i've worked with you know this i like to call that stage uh, the awareness of unawareness right uh, oh i love that start yeah. to become aware that oh wow i've been unaware all this while right that's the first sort of sign that so far i've only felt that something's off this is the first time i've been able to put some words around it right mm. or i don't know i may not even have that full vocabulary but i'm somehow able to describe okay i don't know what this is but i i know something's off if we reach that stage 
uh, it's my my advice to anyone listening who, who might be in those early stages is don't let that go right like start make that your sort of anchor uh, and, and just start to as much as possible um, start to witness yourself because here, here's here's a way to look at it when we're for someone who's in those very very early stages of awareness right we're still we're just coming out of unawareness so right if you're able to hear a voice in your head, right? if you're able to hear some words, and chances are that that's a very critical voice, right? It's not it's not a very pleasant voice for most of us. Um, if we're able to, if we identify a voice, then it's it's obvious that that voice is not us. If that was me, how how was I able to how am I able to hear it? Right? The fact that I can hear something in my head must mean that it's not me. And if, if it's true that it's not me, then what is it? Right? If we can just hold this curiosity and start to just, just like int- introduce a gap between mm-hmm. my myself and my thoughts, so to speak, right? Like I, I'm starting to hear a thought, and if I'm start, if I can just stay curious, like wow, this is the first time I'm actually hearing something as outside of me, then let me just create that separation and start to observe what's going on in our minds. That self-honoring, self-observing self-witnessing is uh, and I think I, I, I anyone who's in this space of self-development in any capacity will agree to this that's where it all begins right that is yeah. the most foundational fundamental step to, uh, to any form of healing growth and expansion right is, is really starting to observe our inner experience from a from a disconnected or I, I shouldn't say disconnected, detached place. Detached is, is a more appropriate word. So here's a trickier question. How can those aware young adults or adults get their parents to get the help that they need after becoming aware that dealing with years and years of unprocessed trauma or healing? Is there a way around that? So if I understood your question correctly, you're asking how can a young adult get their parents to do the work? I mean, when they're seeing that there's so much of dysfunction in the sense of anger, hatred, resentment, and projection, how can they actually, besides helping themselves, which they go to therapy and they come to you perhaps, is there a way to actually make them realize that this is what you're doing and this is how it's affecting us? No, nobody can. uh, And I speak from personal experience. Believe me when I say I've tried. And I... Have only recently come to the conclusion that it's it's not in my hands. Uh, it's a lost cause, isn't it? Yeah, you I, have yourself. Yeah, I can I can yeah. I can do the work myself, and it's see when when you you know for someone who's starting to get on this path and and really start to live a more uh, aligned and connected life, whole life as you call it, as yeah. as yeah, start to live for yourself and and be willing to go through that discomfort and you know get to know yourself and go deeper within it and become aware of your if everything about yourself, right? your fears and insecurities, your shame, all, all these these heavy emotions, unprocessed emotions that we're holding on to. When we start to become aware of all of this, uh, and we start, especially when we start to sense, like uh, feel a difference, right? Yeah. If I start to feel better today than I did maybe a year ago or a couple of years ago, if I just recently started this journey, one of the first things that, that at least I can speak for myself, I started to feel like, wow, if this is helping me, I I want my closest people around me to also experience this, right? Yeah. So first you start approaching it from that angle. 
like almost like forcing them to do the same work that you're doing so that in a few months from now, you'll start to you know, feel a difference. You start to implement some sort of a change. But you, I, I realized, of course, like I said, after, after years of trying, I cannot make anyone, my parents, my sister, my uncle, my aunt, my whoever, my friends even, right? Or even a partner for, for that matter. We cannot make anyone else um, look at things, look at life the way you look at it, right? You can, yeah. you can do it for yourself and maybe it might sound too cliche, but it's true. You, you can set that example, right? Because if you, if you, if you do, do the work on yourself and you start to show up as a different person, maybe you start to show up as a more uh, calm individual in your relationships. Yeah. Uh, maybe no, you're right. I mean, this reminds me of one of my own quotes, which is the best way to change someone is to upgrade yourself is, to the right? point so of being that They start to, you know, at some point they may not have, they may not even have that, that conversation with you. They may not come and actually acknowledge your effort, your, you know, yeah. what's going on? What are you doing? Right? I want what you're eating, exactly. you know, but they, they may start to have that thought within them themselves. They may start to wonder, yeah. oh, you know, maybe what they're he or she or they are doing, uh, I mean, it's, it's working for them. Maybe I should give it a shot. Right. Uh, yeah. that's in my opinion, the only way for, to, to sort of influence <laughs> through, through that way, but you cannot. You cannot force yeah. someone else to do the work. True. It, it, there's, if you ever find a, a have a way, to, please come and tell me because I'd love to know. <laughs> I don't know of any way yeah. that, that. I wish you know when I know. That that sort of. You know, I absolutely love your posts. There's so much value in them. Honestly, yeah. I love the work that you put out there in the world. And I saw one of your very profound posts in which you mentioned about the fact that when we are internally or how we feeling internally which is our dysregulated nervous system it affects how we perceive reality you know right. if we are feeling anger and hatred and pain right. then we'll see the world like that we'll show right. up like that we'll judge like that so do you want to just maybe yeah, share a few uh, words yes, on that? Uh, the post that you talked about uh, basically it said your nervous system state creates your mental state right yeah this is this is uh i i have to say this is my biggest learning over the last one to two years uh and when i first came across this this text you know when i started doing research on this it absolutely blew my mind because think about it all our lives we're told from from when we were young when we we're in school right i think i guess biology when we're when we learned that our, our our body and the different organs we've grown up believing that the, our brain sends messages to the rest of the body and tells the body how to function right Exactly. And, no, it's true, but only to a very small extent, right? Mm -hmm. so the brain-body communication, right? Um, only twenty percent of information exchange happens from the brain to the body. Eighty percent mm -hmm. is body to brain. So what that means wow. is our our body is sending a lot more information to the brain than vice versa, right? And this is uh, again without getting too many too much technicalities realize enough yeah. so what that essentially means um, for just to simplify all of this even for someone who's not familiar with the nervous system which by the way i that's please make yourself familiar with it but even for someone who's for this uh, for someone who this is all very new and may not be familiar with what dysregulated nervous system mm. uh best way i can simplify this is your nervous system state, whatever state you're in, 
based on that state, there's there's information that's being sent to different body parts, right? To all your different parts, right. including the brain, right? So your nervous system perceives your reality before your brain does, right? Uh, of course, it all happens in such a flash of a sec. I mean, maybe nanoseconds, right? All of this happens in, in such a short amount of time uh, to the human brain. To us, it's, it all seems instant, but there's all this biochemical stuff going on inside our, our bodies when our nervous system perceives our reality. It's called neuroception. Our nervous system picks up. That's why, you know, yeah. we use the word vibes. Like I, I get a good vibe or I get a bad vibe. Exactly. Is your nervous system picking up information from its surroundings, from its environment and um. telling you uh, what's safe and what's unsafe, right? When we say, oh, I, I get a good vibe when I walk into this place, that just means your body feels safe in that place. Mm. Or I, I get a bad vibe when I'm when I walk into the space or when I'm around this person, right? That means your body feels unsafe around that person or in that environment. That's all that means, right? So your nervous system mm. is like it based on a, on a on your nervous system state. There's there's messages that's sent to the body, signals are sent to the brain, and then that that signal is passed through several different stages of the brain, different parts of the brain. Now the brain hates being in disagreement with the rest of the body. The brain does not want to do that work and process extra information or have, have extra information be sent to you, to your mind. So what the brain finally relays to your mind is an interpretation based on your past, your, your core identity, your core beliefs, right? So everything that's stored, your, your memories, your past experiences, all of that you're carrying in your mind and body for years and years and years, that's going to dictate the final message that you receive. That, so the thought that you hear in your in your mind, in your head, right, the story that goes on in your mind is a, a very filtered version of the information yeah. that actually gets sent to the brain, right? And all of that right. depends on your nervous system state. So if you're dysregulated in general, right, you could be in a prolonged state of dysregulation, which many of us are, or... Which could mean what? Which could mean anger, resentment, yeah, so our, hatred. Our default, yeah, so our default state... So that, that's also different. Right? That, that also depends on our, our default emotions depend on our nervous system state. So you mentioned anger, right. irritation, frustration. All of these are right. the fight response, right? So if you literally think about, uh, and this might be a good time to very briefly touch upon the fight, flight, freeze. Fight energy is all of these emotions. So, something that's yeah. aggressive, right? Anger, uh, rage, mm. frustration, irritation, right? Mm. This is where you, like the word fight, like you want to you fight with some situation or some person. Flight is when you kind of want to run away from something. You want to flee, right? Yeah. Avoidance, so, escapism. Avoidance, escapism, yeah. anxiety, uh, just overwhelm, right? You just you want mm. to escape or numbing out. So we, 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 we want to run away from a situation. So we find a way to just not feel these things. So workaholism is a form of flight energy, right? Uh, for someone who is <clears throat> like, we've, we've, we all know, either we've been that person or we, we, we know people who... <clears throat> Who keeps saying, you know, I, I cannot, they're, they're not able to take time off work. They're they're constantly, you know, working all the time. And the minute they try yeah. to disconnect, a lot of anxiety comes up, right? They get anxious. They're, yeah, right. they're, that's, they're stuck in a flight state because that work, like constantly working is a form of running away from something you're, you're feeling deep within, right? So that's mm -hmm. fight and flight. And freeze is more like a shutdown state. It's, it's apathy, depression, you know, just like withdrawal. Withdrawal, completely withdrawal, right? Um, dissociating, numbing out, right? So addictions, we find 
uh, we find external sources to to numb our feelings. Whether I mean that could be uh, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, you know, techno like gadgets, uh, gambling, whatever. Right? We find some way mm. externally to numb our feelings. Emotional eating yeah. right? for a lot of people, stress eating, emotional eating becomes a, a way of escaping their their emotions. Right. So all these different states, fight, flight, freeze. So th- that's an indicator of of uh, again for someone who's very new to this. Just a, a this is a very very deep subject, but even to keep it high level, just to start to get a basic level understanding of okay, how do I even identify what my nervous system state is? Just mm-hmm. kind of just think about what your uh, uh, you know have take a look at your thoughts. If your thoughts are are very aggressive, if you're super annoyed with someone or at a with a certain specific situation, chances are you're stuck in in, in fight. If you just if you feel like you know running away from something, if you're constantly want to distract yourself yourself, uh, you know through all these different ways, chances are you're stuck in flight energy. Right? If you feel if you're having depressed uh, depressive thoughts, uh, if you're completely checked out, no matter what's going on around you, you feel like you know you almost don't care, right? You're you're stuck in freeze. And freeze, mind you, freeze doesn't only mean that you're just frozen, meaning you're you're physically not able to move. While that can also be the case, that's the state of functional freeze. I was, that was my default state for years. Like when wow. I was saying that I, I, I was working a job that I didn't enjoy at all. I was doing work that yeah. I did not connect with. Basically, I was just going through the motions, just getting by life one day at a time, like just mm. somehow getting by the day. That's functional freeze where I'm mm. so disconnected. I'm just, I know I just have to check these things off the list. So I'm doing this work and I'm, you know. I'm, I'm even socialized. That's like survival mode then. It is. It is. So any, okay. no matter which of these states you're in, you're, you're stuck in survival mode. So the idea of, uh, of dysregulation is when you get into these states and you're not, your body is not, your system is not easily able to come out of it. Essentially, that's what dysregulation means. I want to point this out. Dysregulation, nervous system dysregulation does not mean, or I'm sorry, Nervous system regulation does not mean that you're never going to get dysregulated again, right? Ah, That's like saying healing, emotional healing, yeah. does not mean you're never going to feel pain again, right? That, that's why there's no such thing as fully healed. You can continue to feel better about yourself and mm. about your, your world, about the, your, your life, about people around you. But pain is in, inevitable, right? We're human beings, we're complex beings. We're always going to feel some sort of pain, whether again, something related to the past or present, right? Or some worry mm-hmm. about the future. We're, we're going to feel that, right? Healing does not mean that we're not going to feel pain again. It just means we start to learn some tools. A, we, we start to become aware of when we're feeling a certain way. B, we learn the tools to navigate these feelings, to navigate our uh, emotional states a lot better, right? Without letting them control us. That's what healing is. Mm-hmm. So nervous system regulation, self-regulation does not mean that your system is never going to be dysregulated again. And in fact, we don't even want that because think about it, again, going back to that example of you're in a forest and a bear jumps in front of you, you don't want to be all calm and you you want to be in a state of fight or flight. You want your system to pump those chemicals, you know, you want that adrenaline to rush through your body so that you you can actually either fight your threat or or run away from it, right? That's what fight or flight is. If we were all the time frozen, uh, or, you know, in, in a state of bliss, like, oh, you know, everything's cool. I'm ch-. You, mm. you're, you're going to be 
Yeah, got it. For that wild animal out of the forest, right? But you have to have the awareness and the skills to regulate yourself exactly. again from the so state of those dysfunction. Where it's a, a genuine physical threat, right? Our body gets mm. dysregulated, we, we get in fight or flight. But when that threat goes away, when you're, you know, you, you manage to run away from the forest and you're back on the road and you're back in your car driving home, you know that that threat is gone, right? So, so your body is your, your system now somehow stabilizes, stabilizes, and it comes back to balance. But yeah. our perceived threats, right? These threats that we mm. these experiences that we we believe are threat threatening or, or, or dangerous for us, meaning, you know, people's opinions of us, our our place in society, our, our relationships, our all these, right? We we grew up being threatened by so so much of our environment, right? These are all perceived threats. When when we get stuck in these again and again and again and again, so that cycles repeats itself so much that we're, we never really got out of that state of dysregulation. That's when we can say our nervous system is, a, is in a prolonged or chronic state of dysregulation, right? Even then, we have moments, every single one of us, even the most, uh, you know, traumatized, the most wounded people who are suffering from, you know, heavy anxiety, depression, all, all every single one of us might have moments small moments of regulation through the day right uh but they're just we we they're so short they're so quick but we, we quickly get back into regular into dysregulation so we we feel like we're in this you know nowhere no man's land at all times right that's what it means to yeah. be stuck in nervous system dysregulation that's why no matter what's going on around us if our thoughts are all the time um intrusive or scary or what we Call as negative thoughts, negative thinking, right? That yeah. essentially is one of the most telltale signs that we're stuck in nervous system dysregulation. No matter what's going on around you, right? You could mm. be in a relatively, you know, you could be in a very safe environment. You know, you're you're you have a good job, you have a you know, your relationships are, are fine. You know, you're you're doing yeah. well in life. All of that could be true for you, but you might still have a negative thought process because you're conditioned to perceive. Your, your environment is threatening at all times. You're conditioned to never be satisfied. You're conditioned to be that perfect child, be that perfect person who's always wants the next best thing, right? Who's never satisfied, who you're, you're conditioned to not accept your failures. All of this, so our conditioning does play, of course, a, a big role. But because of all that, when we're perpetually dysregulated, our mental state is going to reflect that in some way. And that's why this, this is, I would say, the most important part of all of this that we've talked about. That's why we cannot just think our way out of a, a, a negative thought loop. Yeah. Right? That's why this idea of change your thoughts. Think positive, doesn't work because it's unsustainable. Is, so what works then? Tell us what, what, subscribe what's the to the idea. And I will be the first one to say, I was one of those people till a few years ago, till I myself found out about all of this. Uh, we all start, you know, when we get on this path of, self-development, you know, healing and all of this, this idea of positive thinking really sounds very cool, right? Oh, I'm going to get a stop my thoughts and I'm going to change my negative thoughts and I'm going to think positive and the world is going to fix itself and my life is going to change. Mm. Not going to happen because you can, you can do all this mindset work all you want. Intellectually. Intellectually. At, at a cognitive level, you can break down mm. all this. You can, you know, that move from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, which I did all that work, right? But the impact, and I'm not, I don't want to say it doesn't have any impact, right? But the impact, remember, your mind, your brain is sending only 20% information to your body. Correct. 80% is coming from your body, right? So you're the, yeah. the growth, the, the 
the degree to which you're going to be able to implement any change is going to be very, very small. Your body, your, your natural state, your natural nervous system state is still going to take over, right? If you're still this, if you, you can change your thoughts all you want, or you can try. If yeah. you're in a dysregulated state, it's only a matter of time before that scary, intrusive, negative right. pattern comes back. So with that, what are some of the tools that you use to help people regulate themselves from the body? Yeah, uh, great question. Thank you for asking. But that's also, uh, again, I, I can share some common uh, yeah. methods, but that also depends on each person's individual sure. state, right? Of course. So for some, and what I mean by that is for someone whose default state, for example, is fight, right? Or fight or flight. Usually fight or flight is, is like active energy, right? For someone whose default state is fight or flight versus someone whose default state is freeze, for example, right? Yeah. The ways to get out of those states and move towards more balanced, regulated states are different. Mm -hmm. uh, so a different a different approach would work for someone who's stuck in fight or flight versus for someone who's stuck right in so what would these things said be? that the more just general just uh, uh, some some yeah, general yeah. ways of of regulating your, your nervous system are um starting to access your body in this present moment like grounding one of the most powerful no matter what state you're in getting into your dysregulation basically gets us out of our body and it gets you in your head that's why those those racing thoughts mm. right so being able to, and of course, this comes with practice. Uh, this comes with like little bit by bit, finding ways to get out of our, our heads and start to get into your body, right? That could be through the breath, right? Just one, two, maybe three, just a few deep hmm. conscious breaths, becoming aware hmm. of our breath, uh, becoming aware of our, our, our body through different senses. So just, you know, picking up any object in front of you, uh, anything, absolutely anything, right? Just... Yeah, let's let's do it right now. Pick up any object, and you can do this with your eyes closed. You can do this with your eyes open. Just very gently, just feel some texture. Just even you don't even have to close your eyes, right? If you just bring your awareness to your fingertips, right, and and just sense something in your in your hand. This is essentially telling your body to when you're sending your awareness on 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 this this part of your body. Essentially, you're getting out of your head. That's that's the main idea, right? Pick ah. up. Pick up so any object, any, like, start to orient yourself, right? Look around, uh, start to name things that are around you. And it might sound really silly, by the way, for someone who's just starting off. No, no, it makes like, absolute sense. And when, you, when you orient yourself to your environment, it, it signals to your body that you're safe, right? Again, because hmm. one of the reasons we we get into that dysregulated state is because we're not, we don't feel safe in our environment, right? We're conditioned. Not that there's something threatening in your environment right now. You're sitting in what looks like a library kind of room, maybe a study room, work, work, you're, you're on your work desk. There's nothing unsafe about your environment right now, right? But if your body has been conditioned since you were a little child to always look for threat, right? To always look for the next thing that's going to blow up in your face. If that was the environment, hypothetically, that you grew up in, you're going to look for that threat no matter where you are, right? Yeah. And you can only go so long without... Try, like finding it in places that it doesn't exist. That's hypervigilance, right? So yeah. um, just attuning yourself to your environment, like literally looking around, that's a plant. Like just maybe connecting with the plant for a little bit, picking up whatever's in front of you, a book, a pen, a painting, right? Just if you have a, a, a cup of tea in front of you, a cup of coffee, holding that cup of coffee in your hand, this is a, you know, a, a warm cup of coffee, just holding this makes me feel good. Anything that that's called resourcing, right? Any physical object, external object, or even internally, 
a thought, mm. a memory that, that brings you comfort. Yeah. Maybe you love the beach. And just thinking about being by the beach just puts you in a Zen state. Maybe you love the mountains. Maybe there's yeah. a, a, a childhood home that you really, you're emotionally connected with. Maybe your grandma's place. You can, you know, whatever mm. the case might be, whether it's an internal, whether it's just a connect with your body or an yes. external object. These are ways to resource ourselves. So when we start to feel very fidgety, very out of balance, if we start to feel that that um, stressful energy moving through our body, this is one way to resource ourselves. Poor regulation, right? Uh, with a pet, if you have a pet, there is almost no better way to bring yourself, like mm. use them as a way to bring yourself. Connect with yourself and your body. If, okay. if, you're, if you're around a loved one who you genuinely trust or, or connect with, maybe your partner, maybe a friend, maybe a parent, not all of us have a strange relationship with our parents, right? Some of us generally do have that that bond. Uh, regardless yeah. of what may have happened in our childhood, somehow we managed to, to create a very healthy relationship during our yeah. adulthood. If that parent is around, right? Or just call a friend. Any any music, right? Listen to something that soothes you. It's okay. sure. basically anything, absolutely anything in your environment that makes you feel safe, connected, secure, right? That's one way right. to, to regulate yourself. Uh, some other ways. So the idea is to get in touch with your body and reconnect with it because there's so much disconnection with yeah, ourselves because, that we because, live outside yeah, our head. This regulation yeah. is a way of uh, throwing ourselves outside the body. We get into our heads, right? So the, again, these are general. I mean, I, I would I would get into you know meditate, but I, I don't want to just preach meditation from that sense. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot more to it. This, yeah, just you know, some people have maybe tried and they're not able to. Right? That's why meditation is not the mm -hmm. only way. Grounding, like yeah. actually, like. The, one of the best ways, no matter what your state in, whether it's it's a fight or flight or freeze, uh, you know, get, if if you have access to a garden, a park, get out there, take off your shoes, get your feet in the grass. Five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes in the grass to go sit by a tree. Just allow that environment to, you know, to to ground. It's we are, you know, we have to we have to remind ourselves. We we think of this as nature. Like we, we, we even talk about it this way. Oh, I, I like I like being out of nature and I'm going to go for a nature walk and ground myself. We are nature. We are part of the same universe, right? We are made that. of the same things. So if we don't have it in us to regulate ourselves, you we're, we might look at this thing, nature, trees, plants, forests, whatever, woods. We look at this thing as something else that's... No, we, we're made of the same core elements, right? Use that to, to regulate, right? Um, amazing. So, so, That's amazing. So that nature has like Mother Earth, grass, like getting our feet, our hands into the grass, like it genuinely has that that power to to change our because it it pulls out a lot of the negative charge, right? Like from a very at a very energetic level, uh, the Earth will take a lot of your negative charge, right? And yeah. there's an energy exchange that at, at a conscious level, we're right. not able to understand what it is. But at a very so connect with yourself, connect with nature, right? Basically, uh, yeah, and, and yeah, it, and do that in absolutely any way that that feels right, right? Now these are the more yeah. general ways to regulate. Of course, mm. then, like I said, depending on whether you're in fight or flight or you're in freeze, there are certain different. And I can maybe throw out a couple more examples just just for an understanding. So think about when you're in fight or flight, your your body or your, your system is mobilized, right? Again active energy, high energy. If you're highly activated, this is this is from a very, very, again, non-technical perspective, right? Just think about it. When you're highly activated, 
And if you want to come into a more balanced state, what do you think needs to be done? Maybe release something. In that moment? In that moment. If you're, if you're very activated, for you to come down to a balanced... Take some time out, take a few deep breaths, connect with deep yourself. Breath, but, but the idea is to... Some, there's, there's built up energy that needs to be released, right? Correct. So, Correct. so what I'm getting at is for someone who is in fight or flight, right? And if they feel very dysregulated, for that person to come down to a balanced, regulated state, they have to release energy. That could mean some brisk walking, heavy, just jumping, maybe dancing it out, mm. right? Uh, shaking your body, moving your hands, maybe like, and I'm, this is, this is, this is something I actually tell my clients, you, you can, this is, you can read this up. It is a very, very uh, highly recommended way of getting out of fight or flight, punch a pillow, push against the wall, like shove your face inside a pillow and yell, scream, cry if you need to. Yeah. That is as ugly as it sounds or it seems, that's a way of regulating, right? That's so, what healing is not, it, it, we have to accept that healing is not, it, it does not look pretty. Healing is a messy process, right? So when we're stuck in these, in these chronic states of fight or flight, to release that energy, we cannot expect it to look pretty, right? So if it has, if it means an ugly cry, like literally just put your face inside a pillow and just scream if you need to. That, mm. as ugly as that seems, that's you're releasing pent up energy, right? So from a from a, an activated state, at some point you're going to slowly and you feel it, right? If you really, if you, if, I'm sure we've all had those experiences when you really let out that steam. You come down, you feel, you start to feel a lighter, like a little bit lighter inside. You start to, there's a, there's this odd sense of calm that you feel inside your, your chest and your body, right? So your, your heavy charge has been released, right? Now the opposite is with freeze. In freeze, you're, you're immobile, right? The, the nervous yeah. system, the branch of the autonomic nervous system, which is responsible for that, it immobilizes you, right? So, mm -hmm. and again, by this, I don't mean you're just fro like you're, you're a vegetable sitting on a couch, right? You could be in functional freeze, right? But for the most part, you're checked out. You're emotionally checked out. You're not with it. You, you're, you have depressive thoughts. You're just completely disconnected. You're numbing out. Think about the, just the word freeze. For you to come, think about the, your freezer, ice, right? To bring ice to water, what do you give it? Mm. Some, form, some form of heat, warmth. Right? Oh. So when you're, for someone who's stuck in freeze, one of the best ways to get out of it is to, again, if you have a way, if you have access to a friend, a partner, a parent, mm. any human being or a pet around you to give you that warmth, right? use them for co-regulation. If you do not have that access to a person or a pet, give yourself that warmth, give yourself that compassion, right? Yeah. Literally hold yourself. This is called a self-hug, right? Give yourself that physical touch. That's all the body is craving, right? Wow. Our, our system is in freeze because it has, we've believed over a period of time, one of our core beliefs is I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable enough. Nobody cares for me. Mm. You know, I don't have my, I don't have a, a safe place in this world, right? All these things, exactly. when we're so checked out, uh, chances are those are our, the beliefs that we're holding on to. So to come oh, out yeah. of freeze, we have to give ourselves warmth, right? Again, mm. just, that's when this, this idea of like, Wow. dial up the self-compassion, dial up the self-love, just get into a, a warm, hot tub, like have, have a hot shower, right? Uh, let your body feel that cozy energy. Just just mm. allow yourself to to surrender to that. Wow, that's that so much to it. That's really useful. So, so that's, Thank you for sharing that's your insights. That's one way of coming out of freeze. And again, there, there's, there's many, many. I've just 
giving you some very general knowledge. No, I'm sure. So from what I'm hearing you say, like there very much is a possibility of getting to a state of self-regulation and internal, uh, what's the word, healing without hypnotherapy. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've always thought of that being the game changer, but there's a lot more you can do without that yeah, of modality. Course there's, uh, you know, hypnotherapy is a very powerful modality, no doubt. Uh, yeah. Because it helps you. Essentially, what it does is it takes you down to your subconscious states. It helps you access. Exactly. Which is all where it begins. And which is where everything is stored, which is where it begins, which is where, excuse me, we're holding on to all these ideas and beliefs and, and uh, perceptions about ourselves and about the world. So, yeah, so it helps you rewire your subconscious mind from that perspective. But uh, that's possible through just, you know, you, you can access your subconscious mind just through your own meditations on a daily basis, right? Uh, a hypnotherapist just is, is more trained to, you know, keep you down there in those states for a prolonged period of time. Uh, but it is possible to access your subconscious mind without hypnotherapy. And that's so reassuring. Yeah, Thank you for reinforcing that fact. Yeah, no. So, so for example, inner child meditation, right? Uh, there's again, there's many different ways of doing inner child meditations. I myself have have uh, come across a lot of them. Yeah, I've used a few of them with with my clients as well. And if I may say so myself, through my my coaching program, some some of the most impactful moments during that those programs were those inner child meditations where wow. clients came out and literally, uh, you know. For, for many of them, or for few of them, it, it was their very first encounter with a past version of themselves, right? And it was wow. it was so real because, you know, they, they literally it said you're 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 inviting that version of you to come up and actually have a dialogue mm -hmm. with them, right? So regardless of the words that were spoken at a at a at a very cellular level, at a feeling level, um, some of them had that first encounter with. Maybe a seven-year-old version of themselves, a ten-year-old mm. version, a three-year-old version of themselves. Uh, you know, a couple of my, one of my clients had in the same meditation, same session, she had two different versions of herself uh, come in. So she had a, like a dialogue with mm. with two of them. I personally, no exaggeration here. I have, and now it's become now it's just become a thing. Of course, it was very fascinating for me when I first encountered this. <laughs> now I can literally pick and choose. Okay, today I want to talk to my fourteen-year-old self, or today I want to. Oh, hang out with my five-year-old nice. self, but uh, I'd say about two odd years ago, uh, the very first time this happened was part of a. I, I was I was in the middle of, middle of a breathwork session. I encountered seven past versions of myself, all at the same time. So it was like me, my, like my present self, and seven, seven oh. past, like inner shot across different so, ages. All yeah, across different wow. ages with their own belief systems, with their own experiences you know during that and with their own uh unspoken words right Wait, so that just came as a vision or you actually no, created that image no i, I mean i it, just downloaded. it was it was an inner child focused breath work right wow. but it was it was meant to maybe invite what like any version like just you you kind of surrender to the experience and you let yeah that's part of inner child work also again there's many different ways of doing this and and i work based on what the what i feel like the, the client needs the most sometimes it's when you know for a fact, okay, my 14-year-old or my teenager self is holding on to this grudge or is holding on to this wound, I want to work with the specific part, yeah. right? So then you go into that session and you right. invite just that part in. But at other times, you just surrender to the experience and you allow, you invite whatever part of you wants to come up and say something, right? So you kind of mm. leave it up to uh, the universe to send sure. you 
whichever version or it's because your 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 highest self knows what you most need in this moment right so if my mm -hmm. five-year-old self has a message for me uh that's most important for me to hear right now so in that case you know that that's what would come up so in these experiences so yeah going back to so i i somehow i was so so you were saying that's insane. Like, this was not hypnotherapy this was just an inner child meditation or uh, inner child breath work breath work so the, yeah. when i first experienced this myself uh it was I mean, I have goosebumps right now when I'm talking about this. Goosebumps don't lie. Yeah. I I came out of this session and I it was. I, I cannot explain it in words, but it was it was like something in me changed. I realized for the first wow. time that I have the ability, I have the capability, I have the power in me to literally choose anytime I want. I can sit down, close my eyes, and with just a little bit of intention. I can connect with a part of me that is holding on to all of this pain and I can allow that part to express and say whatever the hell it wants to say, whatever it did not get to say in the past. Wow. So for, for this is, that's why inner child work is so, so powerful for mm. emotional like processing and emotional integration because mm. these child versions of us, the five-year-old, 10-year-old, 13, 15-year-old who's stuck in time. Remember I said, your inner child is essentially a fragment of you that's that was stuck in the past exactly. because it, it was not allowed to complete a certain experience. So I have the ability to go back in time, connect with this part of me and allow it to complete that experience that for some people that could be visualizing themselves in that exact scenario again and visualize, like actually have that experience go the way you would have liked for it to go. Meaning, you know, mm -hmm. if you, if you had a parent deny something, right deny your, your, your feelings, deny your pain or somehow your needs, yeah. your need, and, and, and you felt completely unsafe or, or threatened in that moment, right? Or you had this feeling of betrayal. Uh, you know, you, you felt like mom or dad let me down, right? Again, leaving mm -hmm. aside that they were not aware of it and, you know, they just did what they thought they were supposed to do. All that aside, your reality is still your reality. You still had that experience, right? We can hold, we have to start to acknowledge all of these realities all at once. Yes, they did what they the best they knew, the best they could. And it is also true that I was deeply hurt by it, right? Mm. We, we've lived our lives only acknowledging this one truth, yeah. deny the other truth, right? The, the day we can start to acknowledge multiple truths, you know, existing simultaneously is the day we can start to implement this change. So I actually have the ability to go back and connect with this part of me and allow this part of me to have, to complete that experience, whether it is like vocalize that thing to mom or dad and actually let them know, you know what? That was not cool. Like you really let me down. You hurt me, right? Or if if I was bullied as a child, I can go back and and literally if if there's anger like built up in me today because you know a lot of us get into that self-loathing, self-hatred. Like how yeah. could you let this happen to you? Why didn't you fight back for yourself? I can go back and in my mind I can create that scenario and I can fight, right? That is that is a way to release my fight or flight energy, my my fight energy that's stuck in. Me. This, Man, this, that is incredibly empowering. Right. So, wow. so, so, inner child meditation is is no. It's that's why it's, I can tell. I can just. I'm. I'm getting goosebumps yeah, sitting so, here, hearing so, you right now. So, the, this work is. Uh, it's incredibly powerful. This idea of inner child healing and self reparenting. This whole process of it's, it's actually called reparenting, right? Because we are. Yeah. We are connecting with our inner wisdom, our inner strength, our true core essence. Uh, higher mm -hmm. self, call it what you want. We are forming a connection with that part of us, which every single one of us has. We are al aligning ourselves to our truth. And from that place of awareness and empowerment, 
we are stepping into the role of the parent that we did not have, right? Mm. Every child would have liked their parent to have, in, in some, in, in different scenarios, they would have liked their parent to act a certain different way, to show up a certain different way, right? So we have the opportunity to, to reparent ourselves and give ourselves what we needed when we were little kids but did not mm. get, right? That's, True. that's, that's what this so is. It's basically right? the act of self-nurturance. Yep. And self-love, that self-love, that, not like taking a billion selfies and, you know. This, yeah. this is really what, you know, this idea of self-love has become so commercialized over the last exactly. decade Such a or two. Just for a lot of myself included, till, till sometime, even just using the word self-love is, is cringy, right? Because internet, social media has, has made such a mockery out of it, right? Uh, I swear to God. Just, this is self-love, allowing yourself to, to, just be. Just be. Allowing yourself to cry if you need to. That's self-love. Allowing yourself to vocalize something that you've been wanting to tell your mom and dad or granddad mm. or whoever in your family, sure. some adult who really had a, a, a negative impact on your childhood, right? Who had that influence on you, who who yeah. was uh, responsible in many ways for you losing your self, a sense of self, where it's not yeah. possible for you to not hold on to that resentment and bitterness. We, we it's natural for you we all do to, to, to hold on to that. Allow yourself to go back in time and, and whatever it is, vocalize it, write it down if you feel that's more comfortable. Yeah. Say it out loud, say it in your head. You know, for, not many of us are able to actually physically confront those people. You know, for, for many of us, sure. either those parents or grandparents may have passed, right? Passed on. That's a whole different, I mean, that's a conversation for another day. Yeah, like yeah. Dealing with that grief for someone who, who's no longer around, right? But yeah. grieving someone who is alive is in many ways harder because we're trying to make sense of because we our idea of grief is only somebody who's passed on right we, mm. this person is still alive why am i grieve grieve that loss you did not have a child that you really wanted you are allowed to grieve that that aspect wow. of you right so a big part of this uh, of, of trauma in general emotional trauma and emotional wounding is this idea that we we move through our life without grieving our little losses every single day right Sure. And, and we are, as adults, we are a collection of many, 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 many losses that we haven't yet grieved. And yeah. by loss, I don't just mean loss of a loved one or maybe a, a, a very intense heartbreak or, you know, uh, whatever. I, I don't, I'm not only talking about those kind of losses. As little kids, we, very little things, we, if, if our favorite toy broke, that was a loss for us, right? We, we, sure. we expressed that, that heartbreak through crying. And then we were told, "What? what's the big deal? Stop crying. We'll get you a new one. We'll buy you two. We'll get you a bigger one. We'll get you a nicer one, right? That was so old. But making that person feel that their feelings are valid yeah. as For it is. For a five-year-old right child now. who had maybe a favorite teddy bear or a favorite toy, whatever the case might be, a train, anything, a pen, a favorite book, a diary, right? If if they lost a toy or, or, or missed, what if, if, if that toy broke or something, maybe they moved away from their best friend, right? In, in yeah. kindergarten or, or elementary school, if you know, we all had that one or two people in our, in our lives who we really connected with, maybe in our neighborhood, right? And if you had to move cities or you had to move countries, for that child, losing that friend is a huge deal, right? Uh, yeah. the parent, again, well-meaning parents, they kind of brush it off saying, oh, you'll meet many more people. This is a bigger school. You'll make more friends. Don't worry about yeah, it. Don't it's back over everything the child is feeling in that moment. No, it's not valid. It's not, you know, get so, on with exactly. it. Exactly. So. so it tells the child that my my feelings are not valid. I'm, it's not. 
okay for me to feel these things. You know, I need to get over things. Yeah. Right? All these things start to pile up. And again, going back to what I said, yeah, as an adult, Pandora's box opens at some point in life. Thousands and thousands of little, little, little tiny losses that we never grieve. Yeah. So start by grieving. Wow. Our, our <laughs> There's so much to this. For, for, for things that, we've, that we know for a fact really had that impact on us, right? For example, a, a very troubled, you know, traumatic childhood. Grieve. Grieve that childhood that you did not have. Wow. That's very, very well said. I just need you to clarify something. So when we talk about the inner child, it's usually talked about in two contexts. One is what we've talked about in this conversation, as in the, the wounded inner child that comes out in in destructive ways in adults through attention-seeking or self-centricism. But then there's a part that we say, bring your inner child out. So what is that about? Uh, I'm so glad you asked this question. The inner child itself, like, so let, alone, let aside the idea of, wounded inner child for a moment. The inner yeah. child is a part of our our subconscious mind that houses sure. all of our unexpressed self, including, including our creativity, our playfulness. Exactly, our, the inner artist. Our yeah. uh, childlike wonder, curiosity, self-exploration, right? Though all of those aspects of us live in the same part of the, the the subconscious mind as the quote unquote wounded inner child, right? So the idea of the you know bringing out that child version of us and and approaching life from that childlike wonder, that curiosity, that exploration is essentially you know the idea of connecting with the part of us that is unadulterated, right? The, the pure pure because we all come into this world as pure consciousness, right? We are we. Mm -hmm we start to gather information from our environment and start to make meaning of it. And that's when we sort of corrupt our own uh, psyche, so to speak. But we're all pure consciousness at our core, right? Um, so making, uh, approaching life, you know, creating, whether, whether it's, you know, your, your job, your business, your work, your, your, you know, relationships, whatever the case might be, something you're, that, that you're, that you're, that you're working on in, in, the, in as a project, these these daily aspects of our lives if we can approach all of this from that curiosity from that place of exploration and wonder as opposed to approaching them through the lens of that wounded inner child uh, essentially we're 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 open to different outcomes we're we're staying open to whatever we're not we're not hung on uh specific that's why they say you know it's make make your life about the journey not the destination because that yeah. that leaves you open to so many more possibilities that we don't believe we're capable of, right? We're not. We 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 have very restricted ideas about maybe what we can achieve. Our definition of success, our definition of uh, you know a, a, a freedom-based life, or you know what fulfillment yeah. is, what peace and joy and and harmony, all of these things, right? We have very we have a very uh, narrow understanding of all of this because it's all. It's all based on that that wounded lens. We're all biased, sure. right? So approaching anything in general from a place of like more open mindedness and curiosity and playfulness. Play is such an important element of our lives. Uh, it's but most of us give it up when we're kids, right? Because again, life happens, right? When you're stuck in survival mode, this is why this is I can speak for myself. This is why I gave up art. 
I used to love drawing. That was my only mode of expression when I was a little child. I had no. Right, exactly. Uh, I, I didn't... So you brought up your inner child again yeah, to the so, work so, you're doing so now. When I, after I lost my job, and, and that's why I 101% believe this was divinely guided. Like, yeah, I, I didn't understand yeah. it at that time, but this was how it was meant to be. Mm -hmm. Because when I lost my job, and you know, I looked for something else for a whole year, I didn't find another job. I was it was almost like something out there was stopping me from going back into the same, doing mm. same thing that I, I never really connected with. When I fully surrendered and just left it to what, like whatever comes, comes, I'm, I'm open, I'm prepared. Uh, it's scary, of course, because we all have that fear of the yeah. unknown, but I'm going to leave myself open and see what, hap what happens. Wow. Without exaggeration, the first sort of what really rescued me from that place of heavy anxiety and stress because you know, I didn't have a job. There's no income coming in. Uh, of course, I was stressed out. Of course, I was had a lot of anxiety, and, and that this was a very early stage of even you know, like ha having my parents like communicating to them that I'm done. I'm not doing this thing anymore, right? I don't know what I'm going to do. I still don't have an answer for that. But what I do know is I'm not getting back into corporate IT. I'm not. I, like this is not my life was not meant to do. I was not meant to do this with my life. This was during that stage. So fighting them. Uh, you know, to, to make, to start to make my place in the world, like taking control of my life back, like getting, allowing myself to have a voice, right? Aside from all this, what came up was art. So art really rescued me from that, from that state of service because I truly believe Amazing. it came up because I surrendered everything, right? Uh, I yeah. gave it up during my teenage years when, going back to what I said way earlier in this conversation, when we we're little kids going through that, that, conditioning that heavy environment, uh, our main job becomes to survive the day, right? That's how we start to, that's mm -hmm. how survival mode becomes our normal mode, our, our default mode of operation. When you're so much, uh, when you're so stuck in survival mode, we almost, we don't have, I don't want to say we don't have time, but we don't have capacity. We don't have emotional capacity, mental capacity. We don't have capacity in our nervous system for anything else. Creativity, uh, imagination, playfulness, wonder. inspiration, wonder, mm -hmm. these things go out the window when you're stuck in survival mode. And I'm not just saying this, this is literally how the left brain, right brain is divided, right? The left, the uh, uh, right brain is more, you know, logic and, like, and, and, and the opposite side of the brain is where you, every, all these other elements of us, that's where they, they reside. So when we're stuck in survival mode, we are, we're not, we literally lose access to the other part of our brain which is where we thrive, right? right? So, so healing, Gosh. the process of healing, the, the process of coming out of survival mode and starting to thrive, right? The, if you want to look at it as the opposite of survive is thrive, literally requires us to create those new neural pathways so that we start to turn down the volume of one side of our brain and literally start mm -hmm. to bring the other part of our brain online again. It's been offline all this while. It's not that it's, it's not dead. It's still, it's very much there. It's, just, dormant. This it's, is dormant. it's dormant. out of access. We don't have access to it because of our, mm. because all we care about every single day is to survive, right? So when we start to get yeah, out of that wow. mode, we start to gain access to this other part of us. And that's when we're able to access more creativity, exploration. And there comes your inner playful child yeah. out. That's amazing. It still has two connotations from what I've understood so far. Oh, it does. Ooh. It absolutely does. Inner child does not only mean uh, your wounded parts. The wounded child. Your wounded parts are Amazing. part of your inner child, but the inner child is more than just the wounded parts. Well, thank you for clarifying that with yeah. such detail. And 
Thank you for this incredibly insightful conversation today. There's so much to dive deep here and just understand and unlearn and learn about ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I can't thank you enough for all the work that you're doing in the world. Thank I mean, you. nothing else to me matters more than this, honestly. You, know, you can have all the money in the world and success in the conventional sense, yeah. but if you aren't really at peace with yourself, what's the point of all of that? There's yeah. no point. Oh, right? absolutely. We, we so, know enough number of people who have all of that and are still suffering in many ways. Uh, yeah, 100%. That, yeah. So... On that note, I want to ask you, is define an epic being in your words? <laughs> wow, uh, good question. Well, should have seen that coming with, uh, with the name of your podcast. But let me think. One who is able to move through their day-to-day life and circumstances regardless of what they are, with love, compassion, and grace for themselves to begin with, right? Not, we, we were able to develop these, these mm. feelings for others maybe later on, but, but if, if, if we can, mm. I can move through life with holding myself in that space of love and compassion and grace, regardless of past, regardless of my experiences, regardless of my present, regardless of my life circumstances uh, and move through that with with that level of grace and, and hold myself through these circumstances, I think that would make me quite an epic. Gosh, I love that. Thank you for sharing. That was really well said. Thank you. And I know you have a very active page on Instagram, which I encourage people to follow. And what's your username or your IG handle? Uh, yeah, so I have two Instagram pages. My coaching uh page is Ujwal Gulati coaching one co yeah. so that's u-j-j-w-a-l-g-u-l-a-t-i dot c-o uh, that's my coaching page I'll put that in the um, show notes yeah. yeah thank you thank you for that yeah. so people can find you there right yeah uh, find me there you know feel free to drop me a message uh, if you'd like to connect okay. uh, just to even you know uh, even if it just sparks interest and you want to have a conversation uh you know, if you if you connect with my content, if you resonate with it, if you resonate with the messaging, which you know, if you if if someone, who, anyone listening who comes from this dysfunctional environment that we've been talking about, that's mm-hmm. who I, I I work with. I, I specialize in working with people who come from these types yeah. of uh, environments and have had a, a bit of a toxic upbringing. Uh, I, I work with those individuals because for me, that's like working with my own past self. So it's. Mm. I'm, I'm healing while I'm helping someone else exactly. heal their own wounds. I'm, I'm, I'm healing along with them. Um, so if, if anyone who's come from this sort of a, a background upbringing, you might, you might resonate. And if you do, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Please, please do reach out. Perfect. Thanks for that. And of course, for all the awareness that this conversation has created. Thank you. So, yeah, thank you for And that's the wrap. Thanks so much for tuning in. If this conversation resonated, help spread the value by sharing with a friend and feel free to share your thoughts and comments on Instagram at epic.beings. Also, to stay up to date with weekly episodes, you may want to hit subscribe. Until next time, stay epic. This was really awesome. It was lovely chatting with you. Um, I can't believe it's been... A little over an hour and a half. Since we- <laughs> an hour and a half. One of my longest episodes I've ever done. This was, uh, yeah, this, it, was, it, was, it was quite a breeze. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. It was really nice talking to you.